on this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Posner, founder of NHP Talent Group, a brilliant marketing recruitment business. Adam is also host of the Postcast, and now 200 episodes strong podcast with some incredible guests, including his ex-colleague, Gary Vaynerchuk. Adam Posner, absolutely delighted to finally get you on my show. Obviously, you're a renowned podcast host, but welcome aboard to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. Chris, thank you so much for having me. Renowned is, is subjective, but I appreciate it. You're too humble. You're too kind. Um, for those who don't know you, um, give yourself a, a little introduction and um, for the audience as well, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, Chris. Again, thanks so much for having me. And big shout out to my, my UK fans. I'm actually heading over there in July. I'm looking forward to meeting up with everybody. I'll be at Wreckfest. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Adam Posner, born and raised New Yorker, something I take a ton of pride in. Uh, first 15 years of my career working in advertising and marketing. I worked in digital strategy, account management. I worked at a bunch of different ad agencies here in New York. Some big companies like Sirius XM Satellite Radio, home of Howard Stern, for those that are not familiar, as well as a little credit card company called American Express. Uh, did that for a bit. And then I found myself, uh, which I thought was my, my, my forever job working for the great Gary Vaynerchuk over at VaynerMedia here in New York. Uh, unfortunately, that went south for me. The grass was not greener on the other side. And I did not do what I was hired to do. And ultimately, I got fired. And we'll dig into that story um, in a little bit. And it caused me a great moment of introspection. And I pivoted careers into the world of recruiting recruiting for marketing, media, and advertising. Uh, did that for a couple of years, working under search firms, learning, learning how to be a recruiter, the art and science of it, before saying, you know what? I am done working for other people. Screw that. And I went out and launched my own business, which is NHP Talent Group. And we are a boutique staffing agency recruiting for marketing, media, and advertising. Go figure. I'm also the host of the podcast, the one of the top global career podcasts, all about unpacking my guest career journeys and bringing out the wisdom. And so I've been doing that for about three years approaching 200 episodes. I got two amazing kids and a beautiful wife live here in New York. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it, Chris. That's a great intro. You said that a few times, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, people, people like that. It gets it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. A very eclectic mix there, which I want to delve into a bit deeper. Um, what I'd like to do is ask my guests to go back almost from school yeah. to kind of where you are now. I, I, I want to sort of delve into that. I want to you know, to be fairly direct, I've, I've looked at your profile. You've had quite a number of different kind of roles and all that kind of stuff. So I'd like to get to know you as a person. So let, let, let's go on that journey. Let's let's talk about kind of let's like it, school to now. And let's go deep about any adversity and why you kind of chopped and changed so much before you, you arrived where you are. There's no linear career path. And I think everyone goes on their own journey and you don't know what you're going to do, you know, you can't even think about it when you're 21, 22 years old coming out of school, thinking about what the hell am I going to be doing at 43? If you were going to ask me back then at 22 years old, hey, did you ever think that you were going to be a recruiter going to recruiting and you're going to be a podcast? Well, first of all, 23 years ago, no one knew what the hell podcasting was, right? So there's no way to predict that. But I followed my passion from high school. When I was in high school, I was part of the business club. I won business competition. So I always knew that business sales marketing was going to be my chosen path. And when I went to university, I studied business and communication. So it was only logical, in addition to internships in advertising, marketing, media, that that's what I did when I came out of school. So that, that was always the path. You yeah. know, I always had that, 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 that gift of persuasive communication. Uh, you could call it selling, call it what have you, and a passion for marketing early on. Okay. Um, and w why did you get into recruitment? What, what, 
how did you fall into that all? Yeah, I mean, that there, there's a big journey to that, but I think I, I actually want to go back to your, 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 original, your original question that you said before is, you know, there was a lot of steps along the way. You know, each one of those steps in my journey was so meaningful and important when I really think about it and purposeful. You don't, you don't, you don't always know that early on until afterwards when you look back on it, Chris, right? You don't know how important that role is. For example, my first real job out of school, I was working at an ad agency, a small food service ad agency where I learned the foundation of account management, right? I learned the ad yes. industry, but I really truly learned two core principles. One was how to manage expectations, which applies to every aspect professionally and personally. And that includes under-promising, over-delivering. And those are two core foundations in my business right now and something I applied throughout every job in my career. And I had a roller coaster, man. I mean, I had great jobs. I had terrible jobs, uh, hired, fired, laid off, quit, everything in between that you could think about and all those elements in between interviewing, working with recruiters, going through the hiring process. I think that all was a core foundation of leading to me down the path of being a recruiter, right? Yes. So fast forward, as the story goes, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll spare it, anyone could find it. You know, I was working for Vayner and I didn't do what I was hired to do. I, I wasn't able to manage interpersonal relationships well there at the time. And honestly, man, the shit went south. It was just a, a recipe for disaster. And ultimately I lost my job, but I left on good terms. I left on good terms with Gary. I left on good terms with the people there. So much to the fact that I have a better relationship with them now than yeah. I did seven years ago. Yeah. And that's another core piece of my foundation is not burning bridges. I truly believe in the value of relationships. Relationships are the foundation of all my success throughout my entire career. So your question is how to get into recruiting. Recruiting is one of those things, Chris, that most people just fall into, right? No one goes to school and says, hey, you know what? When I want to grow up, I want to be a recruiter. Yeah. No one, no one says that shit, right? Like no one does. So for me on that day that I got let go, I sat with Gary for about an hour and he said, you know, famously, you know, stop focusing on the things that you suck at and double down on your strengths. And my strengths are all those key characteristics that make up a good recruiter, the communication skills, the understanding, the listening and being persuasive. And yeah. that's what pushed me in the direction of being a recruiter. That, 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 that's an amazing kind of, um, uh, sort of claim to fame working with Gary. V. I want to sort of delve deeper into that. But as we both know, in as recruitment uh, consultants that we've been for yeah, a number of you years know the business. Now. Yeah. Um, when I was doing it, it was like, if, if I had a CV in front of me, I was taught that if, if, if that candidate had moved around more than two, three, four times, or I was, I was engendered into thinking, you know, there's, there's no loyalty, there's no staying power, all that kind of stuff. Now, my, my view is that it's the completely opposite. What's your thoughts? Ooh, see, th this is, this is really interesting. Because I've been on both sides of the equation. I mean, I've had some short stints. I've had some long stints. I've had to defend myself, Chris. Now yes. we're talking recruiter to recruiter here. So let's get into this. This is a great topic that you and I do not talk about much. So let's, this is valuable to the audience here. So when I was a candidate, it was tough. So say I got let go or fired from a job. How was I going to go into an interview and justify what happened? Of course, I'm not lying. There was some smoke and mirror. There was some bullshit coming out of my mouth. Of course it was because I had to get that job. And how do you say that without it being performance related? Listen, people get fired because they did not perform at their job. Let's be honest mm. about that. Now, there's a million factors why. But if you could take responsibility and say, hey, listen, I got let go because I didn't do something right, but I'm committed to course correcting, I'm learning, it wasn't the right environment, I wasn't set up for success. There, there, there's a lot to it. So what I did learn as a recruiter and what I do as a recruiter is to listen to people's stories first and unpack the reasons why. Some jobs just don't work out, no. right? Let's be honest about it. But what we do want to look at as a recruiter is a pattern. We want to understand the pattern there. 
if there's frequent job hopping, if there's frequent in between jobs, let's understand why. Yeah. Were there personal reasons going on? Were there health related? Were you taking care of a child? Did you have a baby? Are you taking care of an elderly relative? Yeah. COVID, what have you. Now it's about understanding why that person had short stints or why they had a gap in their resume and really listening to them and putting it all into context. So really important out there. An employer has a right to ask and understand why, because they need to understand if it's performance related. However, it is none of their freaking business if you took time off for any of those reasons I mentioned above that are not performance related. And I truly believe that. And if it is performance related, try to understand that a little bit. I think there's a huge... It's complex. It's not black and white, man. Despite the shit you see on LinkedIn and all the freaking clickbait shit, man, this is very complex. And coming from a recruiter person, what are your thoughts? I want to talk to you about the whole LinkedIn clickbait shit. But in terms of the misconception of what recruitment is, I think it's still a very, very um, biased, uh, unjust opinion of what recruitment is. I think there's an enormous amount of emotional intelligence required. And I think that it does take a certain person to be a recruiter. And I know know saying that people are going to kind of go, yeah, whatever. But I think only a certain type type of people can do this to to, to a level. Let's talk about it. I mean, you, I mean, I look at your credentials, man. I mean, you're an expert. Mm. I mean, I, 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 am, I am working my way to where you have achieved. And I think that that's something that everyone has to take into perspective here. Of It's one of these things, man. And I don't know how it is in, in the UK over the year, but in the States, everybody thinks they could be a real estate agent. Yeah. Right? They think that just because they bought a house or they did construction or they, you know, they know about, you know, the houses in their neighborhood that they would be a great real estate agent. They have no clue. And the same thing in recruiting. Mm-hmm. They didn't know in real estate what goes into the mortgages, the legal you know, really understanding inspections, all those elements that go into, into home sales. Yeah. Same yeah. thing in recruiting. People think that we just go on LinkedIn and we find people and we put them in a job and we make our fees. That's not, there's so much more that goes into it. And I think that education and really unpacking um, what goes into it, plus Chris, as you alluded to, what are those skills that make a good recruiter? And do you really have them to be successful in this business from the aspect of being a recruiter and also running a business? Because yeah. there's one thing to be a good recruiter you may suck at running a business, but to do both, man, as you yes. and I do, I think that's right. I think, I think, I think being, being a niche and being an expert in in the in the specific market is one thing. But unless you can understand people, you haven't got you haven't got a chance, right? No, and it's about it's about listening too. I mean, early early on in in my recruiting journey and in my podcasting journey, one of the big aha moments for me was a real epiphany on to listen and hear more instead of always thinking about what are the next words coming out of my mouth that are driven by me and my agenda. Yeah. Talking about the podcast, uh, moving on a little bit, because um, this is the purpose that leadership podcast. So I, I've built a big business. I've sold it. I've lost it. I've done. I've done so my, my purpose now is about serving others and leaving a legacy and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But in terms of yourself, you know, the, as I well know, hosting one episode of podcast is, is time consuming and it's difficult. You've done 200. So talk to me about that. Why did you do it and what would you get out of it? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it started it started as an itch that I needed to scratch. I grew up. Um, Howard Stern is a, is a hero of mine. He is an icon and it's not just because of the content, but it's a way, it's the way he interviews because it's not an interview, Chris, it's a conversation. Yeah. And I don't know how much you know about the history of Howard Stern um, in, in 2004, five, after 20, 30 years on regular radio, you know, terrestrial mm. radio, he went over to Sirius XM satellite radio, a completely new format where you know, previously on regular radio, you have to take commercial breaks every 20 minutes. You know, you have to be centered on what you say. He went over to Sirius and he could talk for hours without taking a commercial break. 
Yeah. He could say whatever the hell he wanted uncensored. And it changed the format of the show where he was able to have incredible conversations with guests, like long form, just you and I just chatting, chatting it up. And he was so well-researched and he knew so much about them that you had no idea. It wasn't a back and forth bullet. It wasn't, you know, a Q and a, it was in depth and he brought things out of them. You know, for example, he had one, one of my favorites is he had a couple of years ago, he had Hillary Clinton on and he brought out a side of her humor, her humanity. Mm-hmm. He asked her about the Bill and Hillary Clinton love story, how they met. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's yeah. the stuff that people want to hear. I mean, and she admitted for the first time that maybe if she was a little bit more, quote unquote, human, or maybe she came on Howard Stern shows during the election, maybe the course of that election in 2006 would have went in a different direction. I mean, 16 would have went in a different direction. Maybe you, saw, you, saw, you saw something in him that kind of you learned from him and you thought, actually, that's that's Boom. that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was the style that I wanted to bring to the show. And I knew that I always had a passion for it. I had an itch that I wanted to scratch. And that's what I did when I launched the show. But the original intention of launching the show was because I didn't think there was a lot of good recruiting podcasts out there. There was a couple of good shows over in the UK, a couple of folks that we know that were doing some good stuff over there. Um, But nothing really great here in the States. And I heard a couple of shows. and I said, you know what? Brutal honesty, Chris. I I think I could do a better job than that. And I think I did. Yes. And one thing I like about you is that you, you talk about off, I think off the cuff or, you know, post, off the cuff. Is that right? Yeah. So your, your content is, you know, unlike other content, it's, it is off the cuff. It is, I, I would class it as authentic, but just talk to me about your view on LinkedIn. What, what's kind of like overrated, underrated in the Gary Vee style in terms of what, 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 what pisses you off about it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, listen, there's only there's only one Gary Vee style and and there's there's so much you could learn from it. You don't try to copy inspired by it. And that's what he really wants too. He wants to inspire you to come up with your own, right? And and I admit that a lot of my style comes inspired by him, but yeah. a lot of it is my own. And and I mix it up when it comes to content. So for me, there's different channels of, of content. I have podcast content, which is video content with text where I'm promoting a specific episode. I'm very intentional about the clip and the message behind it. That's to promote an episode. Then I have recruiting content where I'm giving actionable advice around hiring, interviewing, all that kind of stuff. And then I have pause off the cuff content, which is literally a train of thought at that moment. Yes. Anytime you see pause off the cuff, it is literally like either I'm thinking and I'm going to type it right now. No editing, you know, a little grammar check here and there, but literally Mm -hmm. exactly what I'm thinking. And those are the ones that resonate the most. Yeah. If you're looking yeah. at it from an engagement perspective, right? What's getting the most talks? What's getting the most eyeballs on it? Mm. And then I also mix up some personal stuff, you know, here and there. I don't overdo it. You're not going to see a picture of me and my kids every single day. I'll do that once every couple of months, but it has to have meaning. The people that put the kids stuff up all the time, it's yes. the tough one because I question their intent. Sure. I know that they're meaningful. They're meaning, right? Like if I'm putting a picture of my kids up there, I want that message to be strong. But if you're doing it every single day yeah. to get the eyeballs on it, like, True. But let's also remember, this is an interesting evolution of the LinkedIn platform, right? It started as a business mm. platform. It's still a business-centric platform. And now we migrated where business is personal. Personal is business. We've seen those boundaries drop, but does not mean that every single day you need to post a photo of you and your kids on what you did for the weekend. Not That's every good. post. Now, here's the other thing too. I don't want to sound like I'm being a LinkedIn copy. I'm just sharing my take and my thoughts on it. And it's a difficult one because there's this, I've, I've personally got so much fulfillment out of it, business out of it, uh, enjoyment out of it. But I've been guilty myself of just 
posting now and again for that dopamine hit and you know I, when i when i notice i'm doing that I, I do step away but i do i do sense you're right the algorithm changes an awful lot you put a post about that recently didn't you <laughs> yeah i had the, i had the linkedin algorithm on my show recently i it was the most exclusive <laughs> interview chris and wow. it's actually a fantastic episode because there's a lot of value behind that and we talk about it and it's interesting you talk about the dopamine because let's be brutally honest here and i'm being brutally honest yep. we all post for a reason because we want people to see it Honestly. I mean, straight up, straight up. Of course, so there's no other reason. We all are chasing the dopamine. We all want the eyeballs on it. You don't post for no one to look at it, and you'd be lying if you did. Yes. No, absolutely right. But, I mean, how, how has, um, do you feel, how do you feel um, personal branding has um, integrated itself or not in the recruitment sector? You know, it's, 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 an, it's an interesting one. So, so I, I don't love the term personal branding, but I guess you got to call it something. And it's also a, a mm. sales product, right? So, they, so personal branding to me, it's your reputation. It's your online reputation. Simple as that. How do you want people to feel and think when they yeah. engage with your content? How do you want people to say and think behind your back when you're not looking or talking? Right. Why don't you like it as personal branding? Isn't that what it is? Well, I think it was a term created on LinkedIn as a cottage industry, right? I think it was, it oh. was, it was to be a coach, to be a personal branding coach. For you to have a, it's basically content. Like I'm going to teach you. I'm a personal branding coach. I have a personal branding course. I'm going to teach you how to create engaging content on LinkedIn. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with people. Listen, we all have to make a living. Yes. But how do we do that? How do we teach people? What's our social proof? What's that formula behind it? Right. Like that's that's really what's behind it. Right. And and, and I don't really shit on people too much. Um, for, no. for for personal branding, personal coaching, but. If you're, if you're doing that with bad intention or yeah. if you're using, you know, hacks and, and other ways to kind of juke the algorithm and that's what you're teaching, that's not real. You know, I look at people like Leah Turner, who's doing it the right way yeah. and he's teaching you how to be inspired by content. I'm not telling you use this exact formula, use yeah. this exact technique, use these engagement pods. Like that's not the right way to I do know, it. Of course. But if you're empowering people, if you're empowering them and giving them, it's the old adage, man, right? Like teach a man to fish, right? Give them the tools. Totally. I mean, to relate it into recruitment, I mean, I've been in recruitment 25 years and, you know, yeah, five, five, 10 years ago, personal branding or whatever you want to call it, you know, it was frowned upon what people didn't even know what it was. It was all about outbound, outbound, outbound. But for, of me, course. Legion. for me, for me, it's like I, I've, I've gone from being Mr. Outbound to not making an outbound call uh, for the last couple of years. And I still get lots of Legion, flack right? or lo lots of people kind of like not understanding, grasping it. So, I mean, how, how have you kind of yeah, let's let, let let's dig into this a little bit. So I I'm a I'm a very unique DNA as far as business yeah. because I am a recruiter. I am successful at recruiting for marketing and advertising because I have a marketing background for 15 years. So A, I know the industry inside and out, and B, I know how to brand myself. Mm. So I use LinkedIn to establish myself as a thought leader. I utilize my podcast content. I utilize my pause off the cuff, my, my, my hiring and interviewing content too, to brand it, right? So I am a Mark recruiter. Yes. I'm a hybrid marketing recruiter, Mark recruiting, recruiting, Mark recruiter. You get it, right? It makes sense. From that <laughs> but that's what I have. Like I'm a Swiss army knife. There's a lot of recruiters out there who you will never see on LinkedIn that are billing millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And that's because they've been doing it for a long time and, or they have a very niche specific audience. Yeah. Right. If you think about a lot of technology sectors where there's like a certain tech stack that somebody has to know, there's only a finite number of people in that industry and they move them up and down the ladder across the different companies and they don't need to be over LinkedIn. Mm. I do because I'm more general in, in marketing. 
I want to change tack a little bit. I want to talk about family. I want to talk about you as a human being. And, and I think you, you briefly mentioned you had some sort of um, attention thing going on before the podcast. If you, I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how you've, how you've conquered that or how you've dealt with it, all that kind of stuff. Because to me, it strikes me there's a lot more to you than just, just a yeah, podcast talk- and business. Yeah, let's talk about this because I was actually talking to my buddy about this the other day. So um, I, I have undiagnosed ADD, OCD, whatever you want to call it. And I think people have to be really mindful about when they talk about it. This is undiagnosed. This is just me based thinking the way I think. Okay. I'm I'm a I'm a action guy. I'm a mover. I move things around. Things always have to be moving forward. So people always say like multitasking is bad. You should focus on one thing and do it well and just move that one thing forward. I disagree because what worked for me is being a multitasker. And the way I kind of think about it is say I have a chessboard in front of me. I'm going to move this piece up, move this piece up, move this piece up. Now we're all moving forward at the same time versus moving one piece up all the way and everything's just sitting here. For me, I need to have all the action moving forward. Wow. Continuously. Not everybody could do this. I've worked really hard on being really, really good at multitasking. It takes discipline. It takes focus. It takes Mm -hmm. simple techniques like post-it notes. So I know what I'm doing because- if I have recruiting, I'm working on a few jobs here and there, podcast guests going, I have other business moving in this direction. If I'm focusing all day just on recruiting, that other stuff's going to fall behind. Mm. So it's blocking and tackling and figuring out what works for me, right? But other people, they say multitasking is bad. That's a tough one. But multitasking really works well with my personality and who I am, that I'm able to do a million things a day. Some people can't. And if you're not successful at it, then that's a red flag. I know I am successful at it because I looked at how much money I made last year and I said, shit, that's working. Literally, you want to look at results and, and really think about it? Hey, yeah. if, I, if I made shit money last year, maybe I would take a fresh look at how I, how I manage sure. my day. Sure. So I think you're right. I think you've got to tap in and understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, not conform to, to what, it comes what down people, to. people tell, tell you. That's probably why you're now an entrepreneur and you're doing your own thing Love as it. to work for someone else, right? That, and that's another really interesting thing too. I, I it took me, you know, thirty. It took me thirty-seven years to realize that I wasn't meant to work for other people, right? <laughs> you know, it really took me that long. And I also don't think I would be as successful as a solo business owner entrepreneur without hmm. that experience. I work for great bosses, shitty bosses, you know, startups, and and I needed to have that experience so I knew what worked and what didn't work, and also how to be a leader. I hmm. wasn't a great people leader, you know, when I worked at Vayner. Part of the reason I lost my job. Because I didn't know how to manage people. I look at it now and I think I'm a fantastic leader. I have a lot of room to grow and learn. But any of the people that work for me, they haven't said anything the opposite. This high energy kind of vivacious kind of like multitasking kind of style that you've got is brilliant. It's infectious. But does it also, yes, talk to me about that burnout, you know, balancing kids and wives and one wife. It's, it's bur- burnout's real. And I think that the real trick to burnout, and I talk about this a lot, is setting personal boundaries, mm-hmm. knowing when you're off duty. And I really, and sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm bad. For example, when I come home, I really try to put the phone down, especially at dinner time, the phone yeah, yeah. physically away from me yeah. and be present with my kids. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people need to start doing that. What happened with the pandemic, man, we used to go to work, we go to an office, we commute nine to five, and we, we'd be done for the day, generally speaking, right? Yeah. But now we're on, we're home, we're always on, we're always responsive, and we're setting expectations with the people that we work for, our clients, our bosses, that we're going to be responsive. Mm-hmm. So a couple of good hacks to this. One is physically putting your phone down. Two 
If you're using a Gmail platform or another platform that has an email scheduler, you could write your emails and schedule to send it another time. For example, I may do some work on a Sunday afternoon, but the last thing I'm doing is emailing my team on a Sunday afternoon. They're going to hate me. Yes. What I'll do is I'll write the emails and I'll set it for Monday, Monday midday. You talked about being a great leader. So uh, how has that journey evolved? How have you learned to become a great leader? And what mistakes have you made along the way? Yeah, I made tons of mistakes. I mean, I, I think that being a great leader comes from having experienced great leaders. I've worked for some tremendous bosses and I've worked for some shit bosses, right? So you think about those qualities and attributes and how to emulate them mm. and do that. I think that's really what it starts. And it's about approach and technique. I give people enough rope. I hate to use this analogy, enough rope to hang themselves in this day and age, but you know what I oh, mean? There. I, get, yeah, I, get yeah. people, I give people enough trust to mm -hmm. go on and do that, but I'm going to have a safety net. I'm going to provide air cover for them because that was the way I succeeded. When someone said, you know what? Yeah. Take a shot at that. Yes. I'm not going to micromanage you. That's, I, I mean, that's a big one. I think I'm a much better leader now than what I was when I was running. I used to run a hundred person business when I thought, and, and it did, did very well, but I, I actually don't think I was actually on the planet. What I mean by that is that, I think you need to be motivational, inspirational, but I think you do have to have compassion. You do have to be a, a human-led and uh, show some vulnerability. Always. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, you have to be. I mean, you know, for, for example, um, Kevin Logan on my team, he's my, he's my first full-time hire. Think about when you started your business, your first full-time hire. And to me, that really meant a lot because he trusted me. He trusts me. You know, small business. He had plenty of other opportunities, but he wanted mm. to take take this journey with me, and and that means a lot to me. And that's a responsibility that I have to him. Yeah, to, to nurture him, to train him, to give him opportunities. And we were just away last week in Miami, and we spent a lot of personal time together, learning about each other's backgrounds. And the more you know about people, you can empathize with them. And we have to be careful with empathy. That's another big buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. There's a balance, in my opinion. There's a balance of being empathetic and understanding. Yeah. And over indexing on empathy because it takes a lot of energy to mm. be super empathetic when you need to pull some of that back to make sure that you have that energy for yourself and those closest to you and from a business perspective. Right. Yeah. And it's a balancing act with empathy because you also have to remember that you're running a business. Yeah, absolutely. Right? This isn't flower power business. We're in there for profit, man. You got to be mindful. Wow, well, I mean, yeah, I think I think I think it's right. I think I think I've, I've just come off another podcast, and the other guest told me that he felt that um, burnout, uh, well-being, mental health can be overused, and some people play the card just to get out of actually doing the work. And it's a very difficult thing for me to say because I'm an advocate, I'm a mental health first aider, and it's all all about the balance. But I think sometimes as well, we we can we can use it as a crutch, right? right? And what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's one of the things that people like are all just trying to fall back on. It's like everyone's going to mm. Now, listen, I, I truly believe in people first. It's something that, that I stand on, but it's yeah. a balancing act, right? Like how much of your own energy, and it goes back to boundaries, right? It goes back. I'm not, I'm not here to be everybody's personal counselor. Yeah. There's professionals for that. Cool. But at the same time, as a business owner, as a leader, I need to understand to some extent what the hell's going on in your life so I can manage to that. Yeah. For example, for example, when, when, when Kevin and his family were going through COVID and I knew that he wasn't sleeping as a six-month-old at home, I knew that in certain circumstances, I needed to provide air cover. I knew that I needed to lead certain situations with the clients. I knew I needed to step in without him mm. even telling me anything Yeah, because I understood that. I wasn't like, sorry, Kevin, tough shit. Go figure this out yourself. This is work, right? Like deal yeah. with it. No, yeah, yeah. no, it's about, that's how I like to lead. You know, I like to lead how other leaders did that for me. When I was, when, when my daughter was young and working and I was up all hours of the night and getting no sleep, understanding that, 
why you might have missed an email why didn't you respond quick enough how 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 did you pivot then from you know having a few jobs working for Gary V which is which yeah. is great but then you set up a business and you've got a 200 strong episode podcast i mean that's not it's not easy to and you've got a big following on linkedin how how did you how did you build that yeah i mean it it's it, it's time effort and intention and it's really interesting too because you look at linkedin as here's a prime example right you know i've been active on linkedin seriously since 2007 2008 right much different platform um, utilizing it for job search and resumes, but it really wasn't until you know 2017, 18, when LinkedIn really started to take off. And, and it was a migration of content creators. It was the people that were creating on Facebook and Instagram that saw yeah. the incredible organic opportunity to grow on LinkedIn and they jumped in. And then video was introduced. And then we saw this big explosion. And, and the problem is it goes back to the vanity and the dopamine. You have a 30,000 connection limit on LinkedIn. Yes. Now, here's the flaw with that. I think for better or worse, I think it's great that they have a connection limit. I really do think it is because the idea behind it is to be intentional. The problem is when people come over for the vanity and trying to get the numbers, they're literally racing to connect with as many people as mm. possible because every one of those numbers becomes a follower. Your follower numbers apparently mean something to somebody. And then after that, everyone turns into just a, con- a connection, a follower versus a connection. So, right, I would see people come on and they would literally be on LinkedIn, Chris, for like, first of all, you could get to 30,000 connections by connecting with 80 people a day for a year. It's not that hard. You could literally spend your first hour of your morning accepting yes. every single connection request. I don't hold any merit to that. Here's the real truth. I have out of my almost 30,000 followers, 18,000 of those are connections. Right. Those are somewhat meaningful, mm. purposeful. I probably turned down 60 to 70% of inbound connection requests mm-hmm. because I don't see them as relevant and I don't need to raise... Let me ask you this. Yeah. The people that, that you think Gary Vee, who easily has 30,000 connections, don't you think maybe he'd, he'd want to have a little bit more room to connect in the future? Mm. Right. So you mean to tell me you come on here in a year, you just made 30,000 meaningful connections? Yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't want to leave yourself any more wiggle room. Exactly. You're done. I did it. I hit my 30,000. I'm done there. So it's about connecting and building with intent. And that goes back to playing the long game. I applied the long game logic to online and offline. So absolutely. Um, uh, in terms of tangible outcomes and results and pound business, oh, yeah. post, the posts that get 30, 40 likes, they're the ones I, I get the business from. I get 400 likes from another one. It's kind of, a, they're, they're just likes, man. Dude, dude, my, my biggest post that I've ever had was uh, right at the end of, of this past year. Um, it was literally a, a, a meme. It was, a, it, was a, it was like this dude standing in front of a lake covered with bread. Bread rolls attach them and seagulls attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my line was something like recruiters trying to get that last, you know, yeah. candidate in. But dude, it had like a zillion views. It had yeah. a zillion likes and yeah, everything. Yeah. And like, listen, I talked to my buddy Joel, who's uh, Joel Agali, who's literally yes, a meme master. Yes. He's and he well, says he? something interesting, right? There's a fine balance. He's gotten a ton of inbound leads from recruiters because he's using recruiting memes. And he is an R to R recruiter. He yes. recruits for recruiters. So there's a tension behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing that, it for that's the his audience. That's that that works for him. But yeah, but just doing it. Does it? it. Just, He's geni- yeah. and genius, genius at that. But otherwise, you know, it doesn't do shit for anybody. That doesn't affect the bottom line. You know, for me, the bottom line really works when I'm doing targeted recruitment, contact, and engagement. And you see it in the comments. And I'm bringing in people, and there's conversations, and they're taking people in the industry, and then we're connecting. For example, I am I am a podcast exclusive. Um, launching a web three crypto nft blockchain whatever you want to call it wow. division of my company in this Are year you? 
I've got, right. so I've got three NFTs into crypto. I'd love to know about this. It sounds great. Yeah. And I've been immersing myself. I've been learning and we're going to be launching it. And you're mm. going to start to see a lot more of this content. And I've been purposely connecting with a lot of people in this space. So now they're at the top of yeah. my followers and content. Good. And that's intentional. Yes. If I had 30,000, I wouldn't be able to do this. No, no, no. So everything you, I'm doing is with intention. You love, you've been saying purpose and intention throughout this podcast, which I love. I mean, the podcast is called the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. But yeah, talk, 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 talk to me about what is your purpose and how has that changed and how will it change? Yeah. So, so at the, the highest level, you know, I truly believe in legacy and I really believe nothing has made me feel better in the last five years than watching my daughter, who's nine now. This company is named after her. This right. is her initials, Nina Harrison Posner. Oh, wow. Lovely. This, my, that. This, this is before my, my son was born and he'll, he'll get to a certain age and be like, what the fuck, dad? So <laughs> right. But this is one. why I do it. Right. And yeah. so she has been by my side as I've grown the show and the business. And I want my kids to be proud of their father. That mm -hmm. is at the highest level of my purpose. I want to teach them by example of what their dad does and what he's building and inspire them. And that's my legacy, right? I want my legacy is for my two children. I want to leave this earth a better place than I found it. And that's going to be done through my children being better than me and my wife being more impactful to this universe and this planet and that at the highest level and everything else is an action trying to feed that the way I operate, the way I act, the way I talk, the I examples that. that I set. That's so it, man. I mean, that, that's my purpose. That's it. That's it. It's not about the size. You know, what, what is success? It used to be the size of your watch, your car, your house, your business. That's, that's not right, is it? Well, Two functions of success. Right. There's, there's two metrics that I have to success. And they work. It's time and happiness, yeah. right? Time, mm -hmm. meaning the freedom to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, right? That, that, that's the time. What was the other one I just said? Um, happiness. Oh, yes. Right? Just, just being... We've all been there in our life and career when we wake up on the Monday blues, we wake up on a Monday morning and it's not just, hey, we don't want to go to work because we're banged up from the weekend because it was Super Bowl last night. But, but it's because you hate what you do. You hate your job and just to not enjoy it. We have one run at this life, man. And you got to enjoy it. And like, listen, do I absolutely love recruiting? No. I, you tell me one recruiter, maybe 1% of recruiters that actually really, <laughs> really, like you mean to tell me you love, I like what I do. I love helping yeah. people. I love helping companies. I love connecting the dots. I love that shit. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, you know, you want to be, you want to enjoy what you're doing, right? You want to have a purpose. Yeah. And What's for me, that's, that's it, man. I, I, I love, I love connecting opportunities to talent. I am a natural connector. It's my superpower. It's what I do best. And I would be selfish if I didn't help other people with it. And I'd be selfish to my family if I didn't capitalize on that to make yeah. as much money as humanly possible. Because for me, money, money is a, I'm going to quote Gary in here. Money is a fuel to my options. Money yes. enables me to do things with my family, to provide for them, to give them experiences, to pay for the life that they, that I want to give them. Mm -hmm. And I would be wrong if I said that money didn't matter. No money. And that's it. And those who, who say that, um, you know, that, that's up to them. I mean, I, I, I've been a multimillionaire. I've lost it all. I went to the point where, all I was focusing on money. Then I went to the point where I kind of lost. Mm -hmm. You have to have a relationship with money, don't you? But not let it be your ruler. But also, I think that it's tough. But, yeah, but money isn't 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 um, isn't your number one 
uh, focus but in terms of the business that you've got Mm-hmm. what what um what objectives do you have for that is, is it just yourself what's, what's no i mean i have i mean right now currently kevin kevin kevin's a full-time employee and i have about seven recruiters out in the field working for us okay yeah i mean it's a sizable business i mean i hit my numbers last year um every year has been year over year growth even during the pandemic um oh. tremendous opportunities are coming my way and right now honestly man i'm only limited by how many recruiters i have and recruiters right now are the most in-demand profession mm, skilled totally. recruiters good recruiters not shit recruiters <laughs> And I'm only limited right now by how many recruiters I have available. I have opportunities coming our way all day long that I have to turn down because I don't have enough recruiters. And I work, I dedicate, going back to you know multitasking, I dedicate a percentage of my time, my week, to finding and connecting with recruiters. They're yeah. not out there. Not what I do. So, so the, I'm yeah. training. That's one of the things I'm doing. I'm now training a couple of folks who, who are not you know juniors out of school, but folks that are maybe in the HR space or the resume space that have a good understanding in theory, and I'm training them to be recruiters. So I'm building my farm team. So what do you want? What's what's the purpose? Of, what's the objective of the business? Is it to kind of sell it, or is it to build build a you know a business that can help other people? Or if you have an end goal in mind? For that? Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I've been thinking about this a lot too. I would love it. I've been talking to people. I would love to just you know just do podcasting every day and just have this NHP <laughs> business that just generates money, and I'm just like you know the CEO who just runs it, and I'm not in the day to day trenches. I run a full desk. I have roles on my plate. I'm recruiting all day. I'm doing biz dev. Um, I would love for that to happen. You know what I mean? To be self-sustainable like that, where I am, you know, running it. But even, for example, Joe Mullings, I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Mullings here in the States. He has the Mullings Group. It's a huge med tech. uh, Of course, yeah. Yeah, Joe's my, Joe's my, like, my Mount Rushmore, my, my beacon. Mm. He's on my figureheads of, 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 of recruiting legends because he built for 30 years. He built this business, the Mullings Group, millions and millions of dollars. Oh, wow. Med tech. Um, but he still manages a full desk and he still sits. He doesn't sit in a, in, a, in, a, in a corner office. He sits on the floor with the rest of the team. And that's a leadership lesson. And that shows that he, he wants to be involved with that day-to-day so he knows what's happening in the industry. Yeah. Now, it may not be a full desk, but it's a couple of roles here and there, right? Uh, absolutely. That's a great ro- role model there. So in terms of kind of like well-being, mental health, and all that kind of stuff, you know, being, being a father, being a podcast host, being a business owner, how do you look after yourself? It's exhausting, man. Um, I, I, am, I am very naturally extroverted. What you see here, what you see with my friends, if I go to the grocery store, I'm talking to people, that's who I am. But I deeply, deeply value my alone time. And I'm lucky because I have an office to myself. I love interacting with people. When I worked in an office in the city and everything, I enjoyed interacting with people. But right now, what I'm doing, my function, my job, I like this alone time in my office. Yeah. Even if, if, if it's like, you know, sourcing work, I put my music on, put my headphones on, I shut the door and I'm able to like just really dig in. And that time is important to me. Um, it's exhausting. I mean, you know how it is with kids. Like I have a little guy, he's three and a half. He he's, gets up at anywhere from 530 to seven every morning. So yeah. You have your, your time is my, also my time is not mine anymore. My time is my family's and the little time that I have to myself, I really try to manage it and be thoughtful about what do I do to decompress? You know, Absolutely. what do I do for my mindset? You know, and mm. make time for my wife, you know? Yeah. Can you give the audience any insight into a really difficult or dark time that, you know, you was kind of in the shit, man. And how do you, yeah. you get out of that? My, my, my darkest time came in those weeks immediately following when I got fired from Vayner. And I'll take you back to it. It was April 1st, 2015. And it was tough for me because we just bought a house, literally. Actually, today's, today's our house anniversary, I call it. Um, 
and expenses were through the roof, pun intended. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to afford to keep this lifestyle that we just upgraded, elevated to? But more importantly, I was like, what am I going to do for a living? Am I going to continue to interview with other ad agencies and have to explain why I got fired or really dig down deep and say, you know what? Self-awareness. Maybe I'm just not that great at that. Maybe there's elements of that career after 15 years that, that for some reason, going back to the pattern conversation that we talked about before, something's, something's wrong here. It's not the right chosen path. And the hardest decision for me was to say, okay, I'm going to pivot, be humble and go into a new industry and have to be a rookie at 35 years old, have mm-hmm. to start a new profession. Wow. That was a really hard pill for me to swallow, a humble pie and, and, and do that. And that was really hard. But in between that period of when I actually... It's a whole story between where, where I finally got hired by my first search firm. But before that, I had some really dark thoughts and they were never suicidal, but they were really dark thoughts, questioning my value, my purpose, what, who I was, my failure. Um, yeah. And my, it was my mission to prove everybody wrong. And I needed, listen, man, the treasures in your shit pit, the treasures when you're at your lowest, the treasures when you have nothing left because you need, you could only go up from rock bottom. You need to hit rock bottom to rebuild. And I needed to hit rock bottom yes. in my professional life. To rebuild. It was tough, man. I mean, I had thoughts, and this is no offense to anybody who works at Home Depot or drives for Uber or anything. I was like, all right, well, maybe maybe I'm just going to, you know, I like working with my hands and stuff like that. Maybe I'll just go to Home mm. Depot and get a job there. And eventually, you know, I'm sure quickly with my education experience, I'll be a manager there and I'll run a Home Depot and that's going to be my career and I'll make a good money. Maybe in between, I'll, you know, use my downtime. I'll go drive an Uber and make some cash. Yeah, yeah, but um, that's that's not what I did. But it was it was tough, man. You're right though. But you you can draw on that experience, and actually, at the time, it probably felt awful. But it's probably the best thing that could have happened to you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I remember I remember moments where you know the kids were off at school. Well, my little one wasn't born yet, but my daughter was off at school. Wifey was out of work, and I was just home in my house alone, like on a weekday. Yeah, with no unemployed, and not unemployed with a career path. Unemployed with not knowing what my career was going to be, mm-hmm. and that was weird, man. That was. It made you find yourself right, and I think that's and that's now enabled you to have the confidence to interview people on your podcast and do your business right. And, and that's and that's why at the end of every podcast, my last question is always asking what their north star is. You know, what is your north star? What did you look to when you were at your lowest to pull mm. you up? And what is your north star that guides you every single day? And what about and you? for me? It's for me. It's my kids, man. It's my kids and my wife. Like that's my reason for everything. It's my it's my compass, my moral compass. Yeah. If my morals for some reason are going in the wrong direction for decisions that I make, because it's not about me anymore. You know this, man. Mm. It's not about me. The second, the second that you have a child, your life is not about you anymore. No. I normally ask, I normally ask one of the last questions I normally ask is, you know, if you're 18 again, what would you do? I'll ask that question, but also when I do, what would you advise an 18 year old getting into kind of LinkedIn and you know, the, the business world, what, what tips can you give to people? Learn and engage. Literally reach out to your heroes, connect with them, people that you admire, and just listen and engage and be humble. Understand that you don't know everything. Even in the crypto space, even if you flipped a few NFTs, you made a few bucks off of, you know, your Bitcoin and your Ethereum and some of your, and some of your <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, decentralized, you know, Shibas and all these other kind of coins out there. That doesn't mean you're an expert. That means you got lucky in gambling. And maybe you understand the market. And maybe, yes, you understand where it's going, but look to the people that have this experience, man. It's been yeah. a roller coaster. 
Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. We could talk for ages. Just uh, one, one final thing. If there's sure. one, th- if there's one thing you want to leave the audience with, what is it? Yeah, and I, I think it's it, it sounds so cliche, man. But but really, but really, follow your heart and follow your passions. I mean, people talk about it all the time. We have one run at this life, man. If you don't love what you're doing, change the course. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But if you're confident in yourself and your abilities, you're going to figure it out, and you're going to be okay. It pain is temporary. Legacy is forever, man. I love that. And just finally, where can people find you? Obviously, LinkedIn. But you want any other channels as well? Um, I mess around on Instagram a little bit. You can find us at NHP Talent. Uh, the podcast is there too. Uh, thepodcast.com for all podcasting needs. And uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and anything recruiting related here in the States, uh, nhptalentgroup.com. You're a star, mate. Thank you so much. That was great. Loved it. Thank you. Dude, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.